Amen. Thank you, musicians, singers. We appreciate your ministry tonight. Wonderful worship time in the Lord. Amen. If we do nothing but gather together and praise God, we've done enough, but uh, we are glad for his presence here tonight. If you have your Bibles tonight, would you turn them to two scriptures? Turn them to Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Mark that in your Bible, Jeremiah 8, 21 and 22. And then turn back to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I want to preach a message tonight I've entitled Hope for Healing. God is a healer. And one of his descriptions in the Old Testament is Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you. Revelation gives us a prophetic scene from heaven. In Revelation 22, 1 and 2, it says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit in every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God is a healer. He is, he is guiding us towards ultimate redemption and ultimate healing. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that you know, every, every tear will be dried, amen, every, uh, every pain erased, uh, and there will be no more sickness, no more curse upon the earth, and so we are heading in that direction, but how many of you know that there is healing available for us now? Uh, Jesus, the prophetic uh, scripture about Jesus says in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And so we can trust in God to bring healing in our lives. And I want to uh, uh, just deal with some areas of uh, healing where we need, uh, we often talk about physical healing. I want to deal in the area of, of trauma that people have experienced, wounds in life, uh, and the hope that they can experience healing in those arenas. Isaiah chapter 1 Beginning in verse 3, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. On over to Jeremiah 8, verses 21 and 22. Jeremiah says, For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? And so the cry of this text is for a people who are deeply wounded, but there's no healing being applied. In verse 6 of Isaiah 1, it says, From the sole of the head, or from the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. And so what the prophets, what both of the prophets are saying 
is that there's healing available, but it's not being applied. Jeremiah says, for the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt, I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? And so both prophets are wondering, hey, why aren't these wounds being closed up? Isn't there a physician? And so he's talking about the great physician. I know Jesus is the great physician. And so the, the, the prophets are looking out at God's people, and they know that God is a healer. They know that God can help them, but their wounds are such that they are not, uh, that the solution, that the balm is not being applied. You know, there really was, as, as I was studying this, there was a balm in Gilead. It kind of blew my mind. In Genesis 37, uh, uh, 25, this is where uh, Joseph is, is being sold into uh, being sold into bondage to the Ishmaelites, but it says, and they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. And so there was a balm in Gilead. But Jeremiah is not just speaking of a, uh, you know, of some kind of physical balm, but he's talking about that, you know, hey, there's a physician. God can help you. God is there to bring healing to your life, but you're not applying that healing. When I worked at Home Depot, uh, when I was in Northern California, in the wintertime, it got very, very dry there. Many times you'd go months with no rain, totally opposite of what it was here. It'd be cold, but it'd be really cold and dry. And your hands, when, when it's cold and dry, your hands would just begin to crack and you get those long things by your thumbnail. They're just really painful. Well, they had this thing called working hands. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. It's called working hands. And it's like, you put that, man, that stuff is like, is like a miracle cure, man. You put that on, your things heal up uh, really quick. And so that's what Jeremiah said. Hey, there is, a, there is a healing you can experience if you apply it the right way. You know, I, I understand these prophets are prophesying to uh, totally backslidden nations, and that's not what I'm talking about tonight. But even we as the people of God can carry wounds with us that we are not addressing. There's a commercial I saw a number of months back, and it was a guy with a barbell on his chest crushing him. And, some, and somebody was at the gym. He said, hey, you want some help? He goes, it's okay, I got it. You know, he's like dying, you know. And, uh, and it's okay to ask for help every once in a while. It's humbling, but I've had to ask for help in my life. I had a counseling session with Pastor Warner before, you know, shortly before we left you know, to come here. I'm okay, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, I'm just saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Esther, help me. Often Christians get to a place of exasperation with their problems and see no answer to the situation. We have to remind them, is there no Savior that died for them? Is there no blood of Jesus to cleanse? Is there no Holy Spirit to help? That's what Jeremiah said. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why, why, is, why are God's people so destroyed and so hurt and they're not applying this process? King Asa in 2 Chronicles kind of has a story of this in that 2 Chronicles 16, 12, and 13 says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. 
and his malady was severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. And so it's talking about a physical condition, but it says that he just sought physicians. He just sought external help. He, wasn't a, he didn't seek the Lord. See, many times there's not just physical wounds, but there's spiritual wounds. You know, Jeremiah talks about the hurt of his daughter. He's talking about, you know, his people, God's people. And it's very interesting because a little bit earlier in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, he says, For they have heard, healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is what the New Living Translation says. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. And so superficial treatments. How many of you know we do that today? We treat drug addiction with other drugs. You know? And listen, look, there's a place for that. I understand all that stuff. You know, I've listened. I've delved into that stuff and understand it. But, you know, to get people off drugs, we give them another drug. And then we give them another drug to get them off of that drug. And then it's like, you know, just constant to, listen, I, I, was, I was on a methadone program. And they did not want you going off of that program. They want to keep you on that thing. They want you dependent on them. And what I really needed was healing for my heart. I didn't need just treatment for an addiction. I needed something deeper in my soul. You talk about housing the homeless. Without ever addressing an interior reason, people are homeless in the first place. Why are you homeless? You know, what's, what's going on in your life? Well, let's give them a house. Okay, is that going to solve the need of their heart? They had this thing in Tucson last year. I don't even know if they have this out here, but in Tucson, you know, the roads crack and really deteriorate because of the heat. And they, they set up these signs that said fog seal being applied. It's a great because the roads are disastrous in Tucson. And, and so, uh, you know, I said, they're going to redo the roads. They're going to they're repave. They're going to reseal the roads. But no, they just, <laughs> and they just sprayed this, uh, this, like, this like light coating of, of uh, a sealant on top of the road. They didn't fix any of the potholes or anything. It's like they just superficially treated the road. I said, that was no, you know, that was a disappointment. And many times people do that in their lives. You know, they, they, they treat things in their lives superficially instead of getting at the root of the problem. There's a sister in the church in Tucson. She had serious back pain. And so they had her on pain management for years. And so she'd go and they'd give her a different pain management and, and so she finally got frustrated, and she went to see it, got a second opinion, which sometimes is necessary. And the doctor looked at her and said, kind of exasperated, you need surgery. You know, it, it's one thing to, uh, to treat the pain. He said, what you really need surgery? She got surgery and got a lot better, was able to reduce her medication because she treated the, the, the root of the problem. Luke was the apostle who was a physician. And his gospel tells this story from Jesus, the uh, 
the Samaritan that was, um, that was you know, destroyed on the road, side of the road and all the people came by and refused to help him and the Samaritan came by and helped him. It says, then Jesus answered, said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem, Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. But a certain Samaritan, it wasn't the Samaritan that was, it was another guy, but the certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And so this man has all kinds of wounds. He's been beaten. Maybe he's been stabbed. I don't know. But he's obviously got open wounds that are bleeding. And one of the things that this Samaritan did was he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, if you look at our story, it says uh, in verse 6, but uh, there's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. And so Luke gives us that imagery that wounds need to be bound up and soothed with ointment. These are emblems of the Holy Spirit. You know, even, even God's people sometimes, we got things going on in our lives, we don't want to look at it. I'm fine. It's good. Don't go there with me, you know. And the thing is, that's where the Holy Spirit goes. Oh, you don't want to go there? Well, that's exactly where I'm going. Because a lot of times these things are causing problems in our lives and we're not dealing with them. God gravitates to the wounded. Jesus in three different gospels says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, referring to himself. God gravitates to those who have been wounded by people and life in general. In Luke chapter 4, 18, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And so he said, he has sent me to heal the, the, the brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. And so how many of you know that the most prevalent wounding we experience is from other people? That's where most of the wounding comes in. Life can hurt us, but people can really do a number on us. <laughs> life, can, life hurts, uh, but people can really do a number on us. There was a video came somehow across in the news and everything. It had some words about a breakup, and, and, and the person said, you gave up on me, and that broke me. And so, you know, I mean, we know that people, what they do to us, whether it's early in life, later in life, there's something about pe- wounds from people that, that can mess with us. God takes it seriously when we are wounded by others. In Luke 17, verses 1 and 2, he says, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. And so it's not that God doesn't take it seriously when we are wounded by other people. And and Jesus is saying that all of us are going to be affected by the offenses of others. He said, it is impossible that no offenses should come. He says, don't think you're going to get out of this life unscathed. You're going to be hurt at some point. The truth is pain has all of our addresses. 
I'll never forget the movie Rocky Three, and they had Mr. T as Clubber Lang. And they asked him, they said, do you have a prediction for the fight? He said, yes, I predict pain. And so that's, you know, that's, you know, that's what we could say about life. I predict pain. There's, you're going to experience pain in your life. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a castle because of offenses People are harder to win. However, I want to say something here. That God doesn't excuse disobedience and refusing the sacrifice of his son Jesus just because we've been wounded. You know, we're not going to get to heaven and stand before God and say, God, I lived a totally sinful life because this person wounded me. Oh, I'm sorry, somebody hurt you. Well, come on in. No, he said, I sent my son I sent the great physician. I sent the one who took all your hurt, all your rejection. By his stripes, you could have been healed. And you didn't apply that. So we can't, so many people use being hurt as an excuse not to serve God. And it's not going to fly with God at the judgment seat. God calls us to love, to serve him, no matter what people have done to us. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27, Jesus said, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus was referring to the law. Well, what does the law actually say? Well, Leviticus 19, 17, 18 talks about that law. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so he speaks about loving your neighbor in the realm of not taking vengeance. We want vengeance, don't we? I, I looked up some movie titles that have vengeance in them. Here's, here, here's some, some movie titles with vengeance. You know, how many know, we, we, got the, we got the nice family man who just got pushed a little too far, you know? And so it becomes a murderous, he goes on a murder spree, you know, I'm going to get you and I'm going to feed you to the alligator, whatever he's going to do, you know what I mean? And so he's this nice, uh, mannered, you know, mild-mannered guy, and then he just gets pushed a little too far, and we love that. The people flock to the theaters to see movies on vengeance. Here's some movie titles, Blind Vengeance, Bitter Vengeance, Cry Vengeance, Sweet Vengeance, Dark Vengeance, Fast Vengeance. Blue vengeance, force vengeance, heated vengeance, naked vengeance, acts of vengeance, deadly vengeance, out for vengeance, bound to vengeance, fistful of vengeance, streets of vengeance, angel of vengeance, ministry of vengeance. I don't know if that was from a backslidden pastor or whatever, but uh, <laughs> with a vengeance, code name vengeance, kickboxer vengeance, ninja vengeance, uh, taste of vengeance. Those are actual movie titles that, are, that, that have been made. I mean, we love vengeance. And, and God is saying, hey, there's this, we, want, we want people to pay for what they've done to us. 
Rick Warren had a, when I was putting this together, Rick Warren had a devotional on forgiveness. And listen to what he says. This is very important. He said, first, real forgiveness is unconditional. There are no requirements attached to it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't bargain for it. Forgiveness is not based on a promise to never do it again. You offer forgiveness to somebody whether they ask for it or not. When Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Nobody had asked for it. Nobody had said, Jesus, please forgive me for what we're doing to you. He just offered it. He took the initiative. Second, forgiveness isn't minimizing the seriousness of the offense. So just because you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you're minimizing what has happened to you. When somebody asks for your forgiveness and you say, it's no big deal, it really didn't hurt, that actually cheapens forgiveness. If the offense wasn't a big deal, then you don't need to ask for or offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is for the big stuff. You don't use it for slights that are just minor issues. Life's small slights just require patience and acceptance. It's life's big wrongs that require forgiveness. And those wrongs shouldn't be minimized. If an offense was a big deal, admit that it was, and then forgive or ask for forgiveness. Understanding forgiveness is the first step to living it out. So the next time you've offended someone or have been offended yourself, remember these two things. First, forgiveness is unconditional. And second, forgiveness never minimizes the wrong. And so God doesn't want you to minimize what's happened to you in life. But he also doesn't use it as an excuse not to forgive. It's a tricky thing to navigate, isn't it? We live in a wounded generation, and, we're, and it's wounded mainly because of the sin that, that's ramp, running rampant through society. Verse 4 of our text says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laid with iniquity, a brood of evildoers. And so he's talking about a people that are wounded because of their involvement in sin. Listen, I've, I know my own life, I was wounded by my sins. And people out there that think they're going to go and just dive headlong into all the sins that are being, they're being advertised as something you should do and could do and self-validating, they're going to wind up very wounded. As we preach the gospel to people, we can sympathize with what's happened to them in life, but we still must proclaim a message of repentance, that people still need to repent and get right with God. That's the first step to healing. In Jeremiah 31, 29 and 30, it says, In those days they shall say no more. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. And so what Jeremiah is saying is that I'm this way because of what my parents did to me. You know, the parents ate sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on So he said, look, he says, we're not doing that anymore. He says, you may have had a bad beginning. Stuff may have happened to you in life. He said, but everyone's going to be responsible for your own sin. If you use, if you use the sin against you, as a reason to sin against others, he says, that's not going to wash. Uh, we had a thing, a new ministry. We started in Tucson right before we left called Grief Share. 
And what grief share is, mainly people who have dealt, uh, dealt with losing a loved one many times in an, unti- an untimely or a tragic way. A lot of people died from COVID in the Tucson church. The, the church was older, a little bit older than this church. And so a lot of people were older, had health problems. And so there's a lot of people who lost people. And there's also in the church people who had lost people tragically, uh, car accidents, um, being murdered, all kinds of different things that we encountered in the church. And so one of the questions that, uh, one of the sessions that they had was regarding anger against people or God because of their loss. And so grief share is about processing your grief, but he says, but it talks about uh, what, what is your anger? You know, through grief, there's anger. You're angry at God for losing that loved one. You're, you're angry at God for what happened. And they had five questions on this particular session. They said, is your anger causing you to not want to pray, to not want to go to church, to not want to read your Bible, to reject the goodness of God, and to close your ears to his voice? And so he's talking about anger, you know, and, and the hurts. Is that causing you not to want to pray, not to want to go to church, not to want to read your Bible? Reject the goodness of God and close your ears to his voice. And that's one of the processes they go into in grief share. In devotional I read some time back, it says, taking offense allows others to dictate your emotions and therefore by your quality of life. When we allow the expressions of brokenness in others to affect us, we take our minds off of the ways of heaven and place them on the ways of the world. If we are to effectively live in obedience to the second greatest commandment of loving others, we must allow God to transform us into those who live without offense. When someone wrongs me, I instantly feel a need for justice and fairness rise within me. I feel as if I inherently have the right to be angry or even to exact revenge on for the wrong they committed. Offense stirs up feelings of insecurity, pride, anger, and frustration that I would do just about anything to rid myself of. But when I look at scripture, I see Jesus modeling the exact opposite reaction to offense. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now right there, some of you may say they knew what they were doing. The people who did it, they knew what they were doing. Did they really? Did they really know what they were doing? Even Even if you think, did they really understand the consequences of their actions? You know, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he preaches the gospel in the book of Acts. And he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what, what shall we do? Remember, Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so here's Peter preaching after Jesus has been crucified and risen from the dead and the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And, and Peter preaches. And all of a sudden, they re- oh, man, I did that. We did, what do I do now? How do I, how, do I, how do I get out of this? How do I respond to this? And he said, repent. Turn to God. And you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. Another thing is that in Isaiah, 
what happens is if we don't forgive, if we don't process these things, it begins to affect other people. There's an old saying that hurt people hurt people. Uh, In Isaiah, it says, there was wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. And so these are infectious things coming from them. There's things that haven't been closed up and healed, and so it's affecting those around them. Richard Rohr said, pain that is not transformed becomes pain that is transmitted. I think I might have used that in another sermon. But in other words, unless our wounds are being healed, we will eventually pass on our unresolved pain to the, loved one, to the, ones, to, to the ones we love. This can happen for generations. He says that, you know, people just hand down the pain. This happened to me, and so we hand it down, we hand it down. Entering the process of healing. Michael Cusick said, the greatest barrier to the life of freedom that God desires for us is not our brokenness. It is brokenness unsurrendered. When we conceal or refuse to surrender our wickedness, weakness, and woundedness, they remain not only out of sight, but out of the realm of healing. Jay Stringer said, present sin is the doorway to the wider work of the gospel to bring healing to the wounds of the past and comfort, even power to the difficulties of the present. And so as we read Isaiah's description of healing, we realize that he understands that healing is a process. He talks about verse 6, they have not been closed or bound up and soothed with ointment. In other words, that even if the wounds are going to be healed, it's going to be a process. There's going to have to put some salve and some oil and wine, whatever, uh, back in those days and wrap it up. Uh, and, uh, and, and so they're, they're, healing is not a momentary come to the altar. Okay, I forgive. You know, everything's healed. Healing is a process. I can tell you that. That it's, it's, it's trial and error. It's, you know, you have good days, you have bad days. But the important thing to ask yourself is, are you in the process of healing? Are you dealing with those wounds in your life? Or have you, have you shoved them to the side? I don't want to look at that. I don't want to deal with that. I'm saved. I love God. I don't want to go into that. Many times that's the very thing that God wants to look at in your life. Many times that's the very thing God says, hey, look, I want to help you with this. I want to bring healing. I want to wrap this up. I want to pour in some of my Holy Ghost in there. I want to begin to bring in. Again, it's going to be a process. It's not something that just you know, a magic wand that everything goes away. Psalm 147, 2 and 3 says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What does that mean? It doesn't say he just magic wand. No, he binds up their wounds and gives them a place where they can be healed. He gives them an arena and an atmosphere and environment where those wounds can be healed. You know, I, my son was in Iraq, and so I become very aware of PTSD, very real thing. He experienced it. But the flip side of that is I know people who have dealt with it a couple different ways. He had a soldier that was a friend of his, and one day the soldier, you know, took a picture 
of all the medicine in his medicine cabinet that were being prescribed to him for PTSD. And he had rows and rows of prescription bottles so he could exist after, listen, I know PTSD is real. I understand it's a process. But is that the answer to become a drug-induced zombie for the rest of your life? Is, is there no physician? Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there, is there no savior that can help you with that? I'm not saying it won't be a process. I'm not saying you won't have bad nights. My son's had bad nights. He has nightmares. He has different things. That, but he's not, he doesn't have rows of medicine in his medicine cabinet. God helps him. He's a pastor. Preaches the gospel. His life is not perfect. War is, war is something that's, that is very traumatic. And he saw a lot. But he didn't decide just, well, I'll just, I'll just stay like a zombie for the rest of my life. And that's, you know, that's how I'll deal with that. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no blood of Jesus? Is there no anointing of the Holy Spirit? Is there no great physician who knows how to operate in your soul? Amen. You know, Becky Marine, she was the one that, in Tucson, she started Grief Share. I mentioned earlier, her son was murdered, violently murdered. I think he was 25 years old, something like that. Shot to death outside of a hot dog stand in Tucson. And that's a wound. That's a wound. But through her process, she saw a thing that said grief share, and she went through it. She went through it three times and then became a facilitator for grief share. She's the one who did it in Tucson. She was the leader of it. And she said, you know, the thought is not about moving on, but moving forward. And that's, that's I think we could use that in terms we talk about dealing with wounding in your life is, okay, I'm past that. It's not about necessarily getting past all of it. It's about moving forward. It's not about, you know, getting rid of everything and think you're going to, you're just magic one. But it's talking about moving forward where you don't get stuck. Healing is a decision. You know, people say, how do we, you know, how do we live in a world where there's so much pain? That's, such, that's the easiest question to answer. I didn't realize it until I heard this later, but... Uh, People said, if God, is, if, God is so, if God is so good, why is there so much pain in the world? You ever hear that? That's the easiest question in the world to answer. Genesis 3, 22 and 23, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground for which he was taken. You know, how, how, why is it there's so much pain in the world? Well, how would you know love unless there was hate? How would you know light unless there was dark? How would you know good unless there was evil? How would you know joy if there was no sorrow? And so what it does is it gives us we know good and evil. There's a contrast. There's a contrast. God gives us a contrast. And we have a contrast in our own lives. We have good things happen to us. We have evil things happen to us. 
We know good. We know evil. We know joy. We know sorrow. We know hate. We know love. And so all these different things, we know anger and turmoil. We know peace. And so that is why there is pain in the world, that you might see a contrast. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn it from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Revelation 22, we began with, I'll talk about the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Listen to what Revelation 22, 14 says. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. You know, obeying God will help you in the process of healing. It opens the doors and the gates into the healing qualities that God provides for our lives. I'm, my, the main thing that I'm trying to say tonight is, are you in the process are you looking at the wounds in your life and dealing with them? I'm not saying, are you over them? I'm not saying, are you, you know, denying them? But I'm saying, are you bringing those things before God? It's very important. I had a, a guy that I worked with. His name was Greg Foster. He died about seven years ago. He had a heart condition. But he was, um, he worked across the street for me. He was loud. He was violent. He was always beating somebody up. He was part of a biker club and, and uh, found out a little bit more about him. But uh, his father died when he was very young. His mother was a prostitute and abused him. He used to put cigarettes out on him as a very young child. At five years old, he was taken away from his mother. She was from New York City because she threw him out of a second-story apartment building in New York. And, and government authorities took him away from her. Greg was angry. He was loud. He worked across the street. I'm talking about a loud industrial thing. You could hear him across the street. I mean, this guy was just, you know, angry, cursing, full of, always in conflict with somebody, always mad at somebody, always some kind of fight. I had to break up a fight between him and another guy at work one day, and which was a little scary. And, uh, you know, and so he, he, he got saved. I invited him to church, and uh, Bob and Patsy Mikado, these prison chaplains, used to come. And so he comes to church, and so he 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 raises. He wants to go to the altar, so I go to the altar with him, and he starts bawling like a baby. I mean, he starts bawling like a baby. I mean, his face is red, tears are streaming down. He goes, "Dude." <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't stop crying. He, at this time, he was, he was 44 years old. He said, I haven't cried since I was five years old. I haven't cried since I was five years old. And, and he, he broke down. God did amazing things, healed things with his mother. Whole story about that, I don't have time to go into. But, you know, he found the great physician he found the balm of Gilead. And it wasn't, his life wasn't perfect. I'm not going to tell you he, Greg had his problems, but I'm telling you, in his heart, 
he began the process of healing. He was so full of joy. He stopped cursing. He, he used to get on his face in his kitchen every day and just thank God for his salvation. Just amazing transformation of his life. That's how we, that's how we process healing. It's not that we forget about what's been done to us, but we don't hold them accountable and we let God begin to work. You need to take that thing and say, God, this is what's going, this is what happened to me. How do I enter this process where you can begin to work in my life to bring healing in my life? And God will do that. It might be painful. Listen, when you, when you have surgery, there's pain. When, when people are putting things back in order, there's pain. But you know what? When you go through that, you're better on the other side. Let's bow our heads. Amen. Appreciate you all this evening. I had planned to preach something different tonight. But then yesterday, yesterday afternoon, I felt a change in direction. Thought I was going to preach a different message, but one kind of similar to this. And uh, just felt landed on this today. God wants to help us tonight, amen. He wants to bring healing. There is hope for healing in your life. The first hope is to experience salvation. Greg Foster made heaven his home because he responded to an altar call and gave his life to Jesus Christ. God worked in his heart years and years of wounds that he had put aside, that he had coated over with bitterness and anger, suddenly came to this service breaking down in tears and experienced the wonderful healing oil of the Holy Ghost being poured into his heart. You know, we've been studying in Sunday school that the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. That's what happened to him that night as the love of God encountered him and melted his soul. And many times that's what we need. If that's you tonight, maybe you're here in this place and you're unsaved, you're backslidden, you need Jesus Christ. I'm not going to hold this very long, but Jesus Christ wants to encounter your life. He wants to heal the wounds that have happened to you. He wants to help you in your life. He wants to bring grace to your situation. And all you have to do is turn to him, acknowledge that you need a Savior, acknowledge that you need forgiveness of sins. Yes, you may have been wounded, but you know what? You've hurt people. You've wounded people. Well, I didn't do it intentionally. Well, hey, you know, most of us don't, but we wind up doing it anyway. And so there, there's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God laid our sins upon Jesus on Calvary's cross. If that's you tonight, you need salvation, slip up your hand, put it right back down. Let the Lord help you tonight. Okay, next, I just want to say something. A lot of times as believers, we got issues in our lives. Things have us trauma, violations that happen to us, children, all kinds of things. And, and those things are very painful. And those things are traumatic. Those things affect us, no doubt. But we can bring those things to God. Many times we're so ashamed 
that we don't think God wants to hear about those things. We oh, that's, that's under the blood of Jesus. No, listen, God wants to hear about your heartbreaks. God wants to hear about your wounds. Jesus was wounded to take your wounds. That he carried our sorrows. He has borne our griefs. He is born, and by his stripes we are healed. That he went to the cross for the very things that have happened to you. And so I'm not saying tonight any that all this stuff is any of this stuff is easy. But I'm talking about not letting your life wall off that wound and not addressing that thing and bringing that thing before God and saying, God, how do I enter into this process where you can begin to bring healing in my life? And God will help you if you will do that. God will work in your life. He can bring healing. It's going to be a process. He may bind up that wound. You know, it's a process. It's not going to be... It's not going to be magic wand stuff, but he can bring healing and just put you in a place where you can let him bind up that wound, pour in the healing oil of the Holy Ghost, and, and the great physician can begin to operate in the arenas of your heart and begin to bring healing. But the important thing is you've got to bring that thing before God. And you've got to open your heart to him. You've got to say, God, this is, you know what, this wound, and some of you know tonight, you know your wounds cause you to react a certain way to other people you know and and you're well aware of it then there's that thing hurt people hurt people pain that is not transformed will be transmitted and so you can go through your life like that you can be saved make heaven your home or you can go through life and enter the process of healing with jesus christ and begin to experience his healing power right now this side of heaven listen ultimate healing only happens when we get to heaven but you know what? You can enter the process of healing now and God can begin to work in your heart and do great things. God has done great healing in my life. I came out of a background of sin. All kinds of things happened to me because of my sin. And some things happened to me that wasn't my sin, that was done to me. I can tell you about violations, but you know what? There's something about bringing those things before God that has brought a great healing in my life. And God is still healing me 43 years 42 and a half years down the road. God is still healing my heart. God is still doing things in me. But I have to not let wall off that, that, that access to my heart. And I have to bring that thing before God. So these altars are open tonight if you'd like to come and pray. I believe God really wants to help some people tonight.